I think it's from uh, Luke 22. And it, it is during the Last Supper, Luke recalls uh, Jesus' words as he takes th- this cup, which was a lot bigger and full of real wine, and, and gives it to his disciples. And as he's doing that, he says these words according to Luke This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And um, just to pause here, Brando, I did send those slides to, oh, hey, Kale, what's up? <laughs> so, Rustic Brando? Gmail? Okay, that's okay. I'll, I'll read the scriptures slow enough. You know, when Jesus taught, they didn't have slides, so the Holy Spirit can work with that. Um, but these were, the, these were his words as he held up the cup. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's think about those words one more time. In fact, let's say them together just so they're ingrained in your brain. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus meant for us to understand something when he said these words. He meant for us to link all that he was about to do in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension with these words, the new covenant in my blood, the new covenant in my blood. What is the new covenant? What was Jesus trying to explain? Well, well, let's start with what is a covenant since we don't often use that word in our day-to-day life. A covenant in its most basic definition is a solemn agreement between two parties when they agree to terms about something important to both of them. Today, we might think of a marriage covenant. That's one way that we use it sometimes. A marriage covenant takes place when a man and a woman, and we might use it as a verb here, they covenant, they agree, they commit solemnly together to be husband and wife. And the vows of the marriage covenant explain the terms, the the laws, so to speak, of that covenant. In ancient times, covenants were serious business. They would be peace treaties between warring nations to bring the bloodshed to an end. These treaties might have oaths and witnesses. They would have terms. They would have great blessings for keeping the agreement. And they would have curses, dire consequences for breaking it. And it was so serious that oftentimes in these peace treaties, in these covenant-making ceremonies, an animal or animals would be slaughtered, their blood spilled out in creating the covenant, signifying the seriousness of the covenant and to illustrate the threat of death for whoever broke the covenant. When God raised up Moses and he through them led the Israelites out of bondage to Egypt, God inaugurated a covenant Theologians call it the Mosaic Covenant. Most of us refer to it as the Old Covenant. That's what testament means, your Old Covenant. Testament means covenant. Your Old Testament part of your Bible is the Old Covenant part of your Bible. Your New Testament is your New Covenant part of the Bible. So we refer to the Mosaic Covenant usually as the Old Covenant. And this covenant was an agreement between God and this particular nation. And one day, after Moses led them out of Egypt through God's power, the Lord assembled all of them at the foot of a mountain. 
And he spoke to them out of the darkness and out of the smoke and out of the fire and lightning at the mountain. He spoke to them. And they heard the Lord explain to them, either himself or through Moses, and this is what was said. You stand today, all of you, so that you may enter into the covenant with Yahweh, your God, and into his oath, which Yahweh, your God, is making with you today in order that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God. This was, in a sense, a marriage covenant between Yahweh and his people. He was making them his bride, committing everything in his heart to them. And he gave them a covenant, the old covenant, full of laws that they were to obey to show their faithfulness, just as there was no question that he would be faithful to them. If Israel obeyed the covenant, there would be incredible blessing. There would be peace, there would be health, there would be joy, there would be protection, there would be fulfillment beyond experience on the earth. God would bless every aspect of their lives, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, security-wise. It would just be abundance. It would be health. It would be prosperity. Exodus 28 has these words, blessed shall you be if you keep this covenant. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of the ground and the offspring of your breasts. Blessed shall be the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. There will be nowhere you could go without experiencing the blessings of Yahweh's faithfulness through this covenant he was making. If on the other hand, Israel rejected the covenant laws and therefore rejected the Yahweh who's making this covenant with them, there would be terrible consequences. There would be great cursing just as there would to be great blessing. God would curse the land. He would curse their offspring. He would bring them sickness even madness. He would scatter them to the ends of the earth in bewilderment, despair, confusion, weakness. And he warned he would do this because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore, he said, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger in thirst, in nakedness, and in the lack of all things. And he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. These words are so sobering and they might, they might sound cruel. Maybe to some of us, they even sound unfair. But this is because we do not see as God sees. We do not know as God knows. God is not trivial about this life that this world treats so trivially. It is an unspeakably precious gift to have life and to be called into a relationship with your creator. And God, as our creator, our only sustainer, every moment who is holy, holy, 
and pure and perfect in goodness. He is worthy and only worthy of our greatest love, our greatest trust and our obedience. When we reject our creator, when we reject our only sustainer and his good ways, we're doing the most unjust and sinful thing that can be done in the universe. We are literally despising life and goodness and love itself. Now, over centuries in the covenant with Israel, God patiently pleaded with them as they strayed, as they walked away from him through prophet after prophet, he cried out to them. They rejected his prophets. Some of them they killed. And to a large degree, Israel rejected God and rejected his covenant. And eventually, even grieving, God did as he warned. Israel suffered the consequences of breaking the Old Testament covenant. In fact, until 1947, the Hebrew people wandered the world for 2,000 years, virtually homeless. And much of that time, much of their sad history is full of exile, oppression, and terrible persecution that follows, just as God predicted. We are no better than the Israelites. We are no better than the Israelites. And their, their history, though, testifies to us to the seriousness with which we must take God's word and to the faithfulness of his promises and his warnings. But let's come back to Jesus' words this morning. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus speaks of a new covenant. So what is the new covenant? Well, 600 years before Jesus said these words, Jeremiah prophesied this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. The old covenant was a failure. It was a failure. Not because the old covenant was wrong or God's laws were wrong. No, it was a failure because people were. It was a failure because people failed. They would not live faithfully with God. The old covenant could not make them faithful to God. The old covenant law could only proclaim to people what was right. It could not make them love what was right. The old covenant could command a man to love God and neighbor, 
but it could do nothing to make him love God and neighbor. The old covenant laws could not change a man's heart or a woman's heart. God must come inside our invisible hearts. And at the very deepest level, he must change us. And this is the nature and promise of the new covenant. It is internal, not external. As Jeremiah says, God will write his laws on our hearts, not on tablets of stone coming down from the mountain, but on our very hearts. The Lord spoke to the prophet Ezekiel the same way of the same covenant. When he promised Israel one day, he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. It's an unspeakable promise. It is a unilateral covenant. There's no if you about the new covenant. It is, I will do this and you will be changed. I will save you and you will be saved. I will make you new and you will be new. This is what the new covenant means. It means that we are given a new heart, a heart that loves God and can follow God. Not because of laws written on the outside, but because the law of loving God and neighbor is written on the inside of us. And at the core of our innermost being, God's spirit comes to dwell, giving us new affections, new desires, and new power to love him and to love our neighbor. Spoiler alert, this doesn't mean perfection now, but it does mean change, and it does mean perfection is coming. It means that now where once we were slaves, absolutely slaves to unbelief, slaves to anger, slaves to selfishness, slaves to greed, slaves to immorality, slaves to indifference, slaves to laziness, slaves to addictions. God's spirit indwells in us and produces in us strength, produces in us love, produces in us faith, even if it's weak and small as a mustard seed. It produces in us love for him and our neighbor that we could never, ever produce in ourselves. And the result of experiencing this new covenant in our lives is called the fruit of the spirit. And what comes out of us is the true law of God written on our hearts. Love joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
This is the new covenant, a new heart, a new spirit, God's spirit living in you forever. This is what Jesus means when he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. But now we should ask a question. Why did Jesus say the new covenant in my blood? Why not the new covenant of a new heart? Why not the new covenant of a new spirit? Remember earlier when I said that in making a covenant in ancient times, an animal might be slaughtered as a warning of the curse of death required if the covenant was dishonored. Well, indeed, there is a crucial moment in Exodus 24 at the founding of the old covenant. When Israel agrees to the old covenant before God, Moses sprinkles the blood of animal sacrifices on them. Listen to this. Speaking of Moses, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. That blood was a warning to them of the consequences of breaking the covenant. It was a commitment to them of the seriousness of the covenant. And this tells us something of why Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Because Jesus has become the slaughtered sacrifice, bearing the curse for the sins of any who would be in covenant with God. You see, none of us live up to God's standards for us as his image bearers. None of us love him with all of our hearts as we should. None of us love our neighbors as ourselves as we should. Neither before salvation, nor do we do it perfectly after salvation. But God loves us and he wants us to experience the new covenant. He wants us to experience what it means to have him as our God and to be his people. And so Jesus has become the curse that we deserve. Jesus has become the blood sacrifice, the slaughtered lamb who bears the punishment for all the sins of those who would wish to be in the new covenant. His blood poured out for sin. His blood poured out for sin. Listen, brothers and sisters, I know you've heard this a thousand times, but by God's grace, may we hear it afresh again. His blood poured out for sin satisfies God's righteous justice and judgment against us. Fully satisfies God's justice. Fully satisfies And now that God in his justice is fully satisfied, he is able 
to justly give sinners who don't deserve it his new covenant of unending grace. He is fully able to do what he longs to do, which is to give his people eternal, everlasting forgiveness and new hearts as a gift. It is a gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot pay for it. It is what Jesus paid for so that he could give it to you as a gift. Now, I want to exhort you this morning with a few closing words to help us hopefully experience the new covenant. It's a pretty simple exhortation. It's not the only thing we could say, but it's the most important thing we could say. And it's simply this. With even a mustard seed of faith this morning, I exhort you, I exhort myself, believe in Jesus and believe what God says about you because of Jesus. The new covenant, Jesus says, based on the worth of his blood, has made you new. If you have fled to Jesus for forgiveness from your sin, if you have put your faith in him as your savior and your Lord, the blessings of the new covenant are yours. You don't experience them fully, but they are yours. Not because of what you did, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus has done by his sacrificial death in your place. And I know the struggles to believe this. I know the struggles to believe what God says about me. I know that you have them too. And what you feel about yourself, it is not unimportant. It is not a simple matter to struggle and to suffer with feelings about myself this way and that. But it is not nearly as important as what God says about you. What you feel about yourself is not unimportant, but it is not nearly as important as what God says about you. Yes, you will struggle with sin. You will, until the new covenant is completed at the resurrection, struggle with sin. And then on that day, this body of sin that's even stuck in your brain matter will be finally and fully put away. But even now, even now, if you have fled to Jesus for refuge, if you've repented and turned to him for his salvation, even now, 2 Corinthians 5.17 declares now that you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. At the deepest place of who you are, God declares something new has come from his work. He has placed in you a heart that longs to love him and a heart that by his grace can love him. And he has placed himself at the center of you to stay there forever until the job is complete. And then he's going to stay there some more. (laughs) Even now, Colossians 3 tells us that God has spiritually circumcised your heart. When Paul wrote these words to the Colossians, they were not perfect. They still struggled with sin. They still needed to hear God's exhortations and promises and directions. But Paul said to them, before perfection, he says already, God has cut off your old sin nature from you. It's not who you are anymore. 
And so therefore it does not have the right to dominate you anymore. And it does not have the authority or even the power to dominate you anymore. So you can walk in newness of life. Even now, as we we're pom- promised in 1 John 3, 9, listen to this promise. Whoever is in Christ cannot continue making a practice of sinning. Indeed, he is not even able to do so for God's spirit lives in him. Many of us know what it's like to be walking away from God <laughs> in big ways and small and just recognize we can't do this anymore. And somehow something stops us and turns us around and we walk back towards God. The exhortation works. The coming back to fellowship works. The time of communion where you felt convicted works. The circumstances that just break you work. The Holy Spirit just presents power in your heart that you didn't have the day before and you find yourself able to stop, turn back to God and start walking with him again. Brothers and sisters, that is the new covenant at work. That's not your power. That's God keeping his promise. I will cause you to follow me. This is the blessing of the new covenant and it is yours as a gift through faith in the blood of Christ. Lastly, notice that Jesus said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, not the new covenant in your obedience, the new covenant in your works. And he said this because our hope must not be in ourselves or it would be a false hope. No, he said the new covenant in my blood Because Jesus' blood alone has purchased our deliverance from eternal damnation for our sin. Jesus' blood alone has purchased our freedom from sin's bondage. Jesus' blood alone has purchased our new hearts. Jesus' blood alone has purchased the gifts of the Holy Spirit indwelling us forever. So this morning, let us put our hope again not in ourselves, but in God's oath to us in the new covenant. I will give you a new heart and I will cause you to walk in my ways. He has done this by his blood. Let's take it seriously.